Notes from the Upper West Side, a novel by Dan Wrench. Chapter 111, Whispers on 6th. So when I finally strolled into Whispers on 6th, Mondy McDade was off somewhere getting the promotional ball rolling for the tobacco that tastes like snatch. There was no media company or ad agency involved or anything. It was just Mondy McDade on her blog and some of her friends on Schmuckbook and Blue Check sending out messages. It caught on mainly with college kids at first and then with fans of Mondy McDade who tend to be gay men my age or chicks into the 80s who found out women had a bigger presence on the rock scene back then. That it wasn't just Madonna and that group that did Walk Like an Egyptian. And oh yeah, the Go-Go's. Mondy's blog, which is pretty much about her music stuff and her gigs and her cats and her plants and Bobby Whispers, who she never calls by his real name, only Studsy. The blog had a picture on the front page of a big wooden tobacco jar between the legs of a hot-looking and almost-naked babe in leather panties. I don't know how much traffic the blog got, but the customers were coming from somewhere. And if you scroll down on the blog, there's a picture of Mondi with a pipe in her mouth squatting next to her guitar. Long hair, white blonde, tight tiger-striped pants and a little velvet jacket and big red Botox lips that scream, Barbie blowjob! And the caption says, All my fans know, I love a big piece of wood in my mouth. Like Parp said somewhere about a dozen chapters ago, the demand for the tobacco caught Bobby by surprise, so by the time I ambled down to his store, posing as somebody who wanted to help him out, he didn't have an official distributor yet, not even Amatrix. So he and his staff were not only mixing up all the tobacco, but they were also packaging the individual orders and handing them to the FedEx guy each day. Just about every order back in those days was to a college campus. Members of sororities and fraternities and just plain unaffiliated dorm dorks were craving their bowls of snatchweed. I'd love to see the look on whispers and parps' faces if they didn't have the damn internet. If this were the 1940s, they'd be goofy little losers hanging out at Midtown like the clowns Damon Runyon used to write about. It would have been great if I could have just walked in and had the whole gang wave and say, Hey, it's Paul. Great to see you, Paul. But, of course, there had to be a catch. Somebody just had to play the asshole. I walked into the shop on my day off a few nights after talking to Parp. I kind of thought I'd be walking into a class reunion for Hat. I mean, that's the way Parp described it anyway. Maybe he lied to me again so I'd look extra stupid, I thought when I got to the shop. It was after 5 o'clock and getting close to 6. I got the neighbor's teenage daughter, Sarah Beth, 
to watch the boys for a couple hours because Junior had newbie school, and I figured if the chicks from Hat were doing this as an extracurricular activity, they'd be showing up in the evening since most of them had day jobs during the, well, day. But when I walked in, I didn't recognize anybody at first. I milled around in front of the store. I was sure I'd meet somebody there I knew. And hey, there was a D-list celeb in the store. An actor from Law and Procedure, one of the show's regular criminals, or regular lawyers. Or a criminal from one episode and a lawyer or a judge from another. He was enthusing over the cigars in one of the glass cases to a chick in a ruffled blouse and boyish quaff standing behind the counter. But that was it. Except for the three of us, the joint was empty. You know what it's like when your assumptions don't match reality and you feel kind of stupid for imagining wrong? When I look back on it, I don't know why I thought the whole one-for-the-road operation would be happening right out front in a 6th Avenue retail store, but yeah, that's what I pictured. I looked around to see if there was any other help and evidence besides the quaff and blouse chick who was helping the law and procedure guy. Nope. But it's not like a Starbucks where they have to worry about line management. It's an upscale tobacco store on 6th. And it wasn't Christmas. In all the times I went down there, I don't think I ever saw more than four people out front at the same time, and that included me and the help. But you know, when you're selling small containers of tobacco for 50 bucks a pop, how many customers do you need? You know? I sniffed some samples. Wow, they smelled great. I thought, hey, I should take up pipe smoking. And then I thought, it would probably ingratiate me some to at least pretend to take it up and spend a little money in the place. I looked around while I was waiting for the chick to finish waiting on the TV guy. I think I also saw him on some woke flicks limited series about a white guy from New Jersey who comes to New York to push black chicks in front of subways. There were these bundles of extra fluffy pipe cleaners and rows of mahogany cubby holes. They just looked so... buyable. And there were the special mixtures. Riverboat Comfort. Pennies for Snuff. Marshmallow Island. All concoctions of Whispers or his dad's that he and his staff of almost all dykes, which I think I mentioned, made up in the back room along with one for the road, which I didn't see any of out front that day. Notes from the Upper West Side is a work of fiction. The people depicted in this work do not exist. Notes from the Upper West Side, copyright 2023, by Dan Wrench.